The Barnard Group, a uh, well-respected Christian polling organization, um, interviewed about 14,500 people in the United States and asked them this question, would you consider yourself or label yourself or take the identity of a Christian? You can see the results up here. It's kind of separated out by different age groups. The older group, the elders are 73 and older. The millennials are in that 18 to 29 year old uh, age range, uh, a lot less. But it wasn't surprising to me. It's um, probably actually more in this anti-Christian society than what we expected. And then they asked him a second question. And they said, well, how many of you uh, feel your faith is really important to you? And you've attended at least one church service in the last month, not counting weddings or funerals. And now we can see the data down below, broken out by the different age groups. And you can see that it's dropped quite a bit, um, about a third to half of, of all people who would even say they are not Christian. And I don't know about you, but that's kind of concerning to me. Well, good morning, East Point Church. <laughs> I uh, wanted to get your attention. If I succeeded in that or not, right off the bat. But uh, I'm an elder here at East Point. I've been serving as a partner here for about eight years. Uh, married uh, about 40 years. Just had a 40th anniversary a couple weeks ago. And thank you. And I have three children all grown. Uh, two of them would fall into this category. Uh, actually, they're two much better than that. They're, they're on mission. They're pointing people to life. Uh, one of them, I'm not sure she'd even identify as a Christian today. She did at one time. So I have an emotional connection to where uh, the status is. And I'm not so much concerned even about the exact situation today. Uh, what I'm concerned about is the trajectory. That's a great concept to grab a hold of in your life when you look at how you're doing. And when I get together with guys and I talk about how they're doing, I ask them particularly about their marriage, I find it's not real helpful just to say, well, how are things going today? You know, if you've been married, I've been married 40 years, and today might be great, today might not be so great. What's really important, though, is when I ask, well, what's your trajectory? And is it like this? You know, you're just kind of maintaining, not bad, not really that good either. Uh, is it like this? You know, things are going great. I think we just start praying together on a regular basis or, you know, serving, whatever it is. Or is it like this? You know, things, things are getting worse. We're heading for a train wreck, right? And so that principle, it works in our lives, works actually in the church as well. And as I think of the East Point Christian Church, uh, I can tell you with certainty that we are like this, okay? We are at a tough life So, I want to look, have us look today. That's good news compared to what we see here. Uh, I'm going to share four other pieces of good news that uh, Jesus has for us uh, as he helps us to be people on mission. And he does this, and it's described in the book of John, chapter 21. Turn with me there. And uh, before, whenever you dig into the Word, one of the things you want to do is uh, get the big picture. Who wrote this? Why did they write it? When did they write it? And we can just say that uh, theologians today, they're not sure exactly who this John was. They know it's John. Uh, most people, theologians feel that it's John the Apostle, the one who Jesus loved, as he describes this all the time. It was written about 80, 85 to 90, if you do your math. 
we can say, well, that's about 50 years after Jesus died. So if this was Apostle John, then he'd be in his 70s. And uh, he gave us a softball in terms of uh, why did he write this? Right? Pretty nice of him. Right before chapter 21, verse 31, he says, But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So there's the mission again, pointing people to life. And that's what his intent was here. And uh, you would have thought he would have stopped right here in chapter 20. That sounds like a good ending, right? But the Holy Spirit evidently wanted us to know more and have something else for us. Let's see what, what we have here. We're going to start in uh, verses 1 through 4 here. Just look at this with me. It says, After these things, Jesus manifested himself to the disciples, again to the disciples, at the Sea of Tiberias, that's the uh, Sea of Galilee. And he manifested himself in this way. Uh, there were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel and Canaan and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others, his disciples, probably Andrew and Philip. Uh, you kind of count them as like seven of them. It wasn't all 12 of them. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, we'll come with you. So they went out, got in the boat, and that night, it says they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Um, so it starts out after these things. Uh, that's a broad statement. Uh, obviously the first 20 chapters of the book of John, but I think it was more concentrating on what had happened recently. Jesus had been crucified, he was resurrected, and he actually, if you read it in chapter 20 here, just cross the page, uh, it appeared to them already twice, once without Thomas, and then once with our good friend Thomas, um, the doubter here, doubting Thomas. And uh, Peter uh, said, you know, I don't know, we don't know where these disciples were here in their life in terms of the mission. Uh, Jesus had given them a mission, and uh, they were out fishing. Um, and Peter's uh, the one that led them there. He's a leader. You can tell a leader by why, why how. Well, is anybody following him? And obviously, uh, they there were. And what was the result of their efforts? Squat. <laughs> okay? And... Uh, we don't know why they didn't catch anything necessarily. Um, you know, Jesus had said uh, previously to them, you know, I'm the band, vine, you're the branches. Apartment for me, you can do nothing, all right? And we weren't sure, again, were, were they just giving up on the mission or were they just waiting for their instructions? It, it's not really clear, but certainly um, in terms of uh, Peter, he had kind of benched himself here. He was out of the game. He had really messed up. And uh, he was, I'm sure, hoping for just uh, one more chance. And um, so what this is really telling us here is that uh, Jesus was, was seeking them. He took the initiative. You know, they weren't where they, Jesus wanted them to be. But he didn't ask them to come to him. Uh, he went to them. And it's so true in our lives that uh, Jesus does that for us. He seeks us. Uh, and God does a lot in the background that we're not even aware of. 
And in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 8, it says that even when we struggle to pray, that the Holy Spirit can intercede with us for, with groanings too deep for words. And Apostle Paul also said that Jesus, when he ascended to the Father, he sat the sitting at his right hand, and he's interceding for you and for me. Now, given that, I know that street is happening right now for you and me, but what I think Jesus does mostly for me is what he was doing here, standing on the shore. What he does for me most of the time is this. He's waiting. Okay. And he's like, fine, 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 Are you going to deal with this in your life? Isn't it time? When are you going to move here? When are you going to deal with this? And first, I'm like, Yeah, not quite yet. I really want to wallow in my misery and my bitterness a little while longer. Thank you very much. Okay? And that isn't how we are sometimes. That's how I am. And that's what Jesus is doing for me quite a lot. He's just waiting. And that's what he's doing here in this scene. He was waiting on the disciples out of his grace. It's kind of like that uh, prodigal son and his father, right? What was the prodigal son's father doing? He's waiting. He was looking for him, of course. And uh, when he did see him, he, 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 he spread it out there. Well, more of it. He's probably had a dad body, probably more jog out there. Okay. But when he saw his son, man, it was, he slammed him on that. He, he's there. I mean, he said, I'm so happy that you're back. And, and what had happened, he did come to the senses, the scripture says. God often waits on us to come to our senses. I know he does for me. And maybe that's what he's doing here. So he seeks us. And then the script, the hymn writer says, Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leads the 99. Let's look at verses 5 through 8. It says, Jesus therefore said to them, Children, you don't have any fish, do you? Last night, fish would like to hear, right? And he said, no. And he said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat. You'll find a catch. They cast therefore, and they weren't able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. That disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, said, Peter, it's the Lord. And so when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his armor on, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they weren't far from land, they're about 100 yards away, right? And then full of fish. Okay. Jesus is worthy of our trust. They didn't even know who this guy was out there who uh, said, gave them instructions. Okay. Um, but their obedience resulted in what? It resulted in abundance. The question becomes is Jesus worthy of our trust? You know, we're going to make a sacrifice to be on mission. Almost every time we're going to have to make a sacrifice. All those who came to the women's retreat, the men's retreat, you made a sacrifice. You had other things to do that day. But you said that was important, and you made a sacrifice. And will Jesus have our backs when we do that? Okay? Uh, again, what was Peter's thinking here? He was a man of action. He said, let's go fishing. Hey, boom. He said, oh, there's the Lord. Boom. 
he's out there, and uh, you just have to think of his mindset. He had failed Jesus. He failed badly. Uh, he actually started out boasting about how all these other disciples, Jesus may abandon you, but I'm going to be there for you in tough times, come what may, and what happened. You know, he's out there in that court, Jesus with paint right. A little boy standing there sees him says, Aren't you one of the disciples? He said, no. Boy says, hmm, you're accent. Sure, it sounds like you're one of the disciples. He said, you're not one of the disciples. Hmm. It's a little more wood on the fire. And it glows brighter. You can see him better. You know, I, I saw you in the garden. You cut that servant's ear off. That you're one of his disciples. What did Jesus say? I don't even know this man. I'm not one of his disciples. Boastful Peter, he blew He made a hash out of things. And in the two times that Jesus had appeared, that hadn't been dealt with. So he heard that Jesus was there, boom. He's thinking, I got another chance. And he's worthy of our trust. Sure, the songwriter says, though by the path he leadeth, but, but one step I may see. His eyes is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Verses uh, 9 through 14 says, And when they got out upon the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid, and fish placed on it, bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of large fish. Of course, he would be the one, right? He's the man of action. Oh, I got this. Let me take this fish over there. And uh, there were 153, there were so many, but the net wasn't torn. And Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you? Knowing it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave them the fish likewise. Now this is the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And Jesus anticipates our need. He knew these guys had been out all night. They were hungry. They went on a mission. What did he do? They didn't do what I would have done. Hey, I would have made a nice spread there. Give them a fire for warmth. Hey, I would have been on their case probably. But not, not Jesus. He, he had such grace. He was showing these guys. Um, and notice that even in verse 13, it said that the disciples didn't even take the bread and, and, and go and eat that meal. Jesus actually gave it to them. Right? This is how gracious he was. Kind of reminds me of the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation. Remember, Jesus said, you know, you're not hot. Well, you're not cold either, but kind of lukewarm. I really don't like that. I wish you'd been one or the other. And he says, in Revelation 3.20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door, and I knock. He seeks us, right? And anyone that hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and dine with him, and he with me. And it's really kind of a picture of what's happening right here on the, on the shore. And Jesus was showing them, as I said, great grace. And there's some things to think about in terms of grace. Uh, I was uh, in the prison yard at Chilcotty Correctional, uh, along with uh, Rob Tolliver and, and my son. And then this girlfriend actually was in the prison in uh, Marysville to share the gospel. I don't, I don't know what your family does on the weekend, but for my family, it goes to prison. So, and 
we had a tremendous testimony. We had gathered a bunch of guys, a hundred guys around, because we have a band playing, and we had this former Miss America bodybuilder. He gave a tremendous testimony of, of God's grace and forgiveness. And uh, I, I was able to get four guys to, to come talk to me, like, hey, can, can I just share a little bit of information with you before you go today? I want to know what you thought of uh, Rocky's testimony today, what his story. And uh, four guys agreed to do that. And so uh, when you talk to people about the Lord and his gospel message, uh, it's good to kind of do some diagnostics, kind of figure out where are these guys at? And uh, I've learned that it doesn't really help to ask them, like, you be a church goer, you get a church that day, or, or even ask them, uh, as you saw in that data from Barnum, if you're a Christian, that doesn't mean a lot anymore these days. But a good question to ask them is this question. Uh, if you, include yourself, and if you and I died today, it had been raining in the yard that day, so I said, hey, the bolt of lightning, and uh, we stood before God, and he said, uh, I always use your names, you know, Mike, Jamal, Steve, Joe, whatever, we stood before God and he said, give me a reason why I should let you into heaven and spend eternity with me. Give me a reason. Isn't that a great question? That's a, that's a very revealing question. Um, I know David Bernays and I had a chance to ask a guy at uh, Panera. We picked up Panera bread for the church Friday night. And there was a guy there approached us and we asked him that question. And he didn't have a very good answer to that. And a lot of guys know him. But they would say, I have no idea. I don't know what I'd say. Some guys, pretty honest, they say, he would never let me into heaven. And I say, hey, I appreciate you being honest. There's other guys that just say, you know, yeah, I, I'm here, and I'm paying for my crime, but, you know, I, I'm not that bad of a guy, and maybe he'll take pity on me, you know, and no, no. If we answer that question on any merit of our own, that's not a very good answer. And we have to answer that, answer that question is, uh, it's his merit, what he's done for us, not what we've ever done for him. And it's because of the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross, the payment for my sins, which is I uh, confess and repented and accepted Christ as Savior and Lord. That's the answer, the best answer. Uh, we look to answer that question. But then we get to walking through the scriptures and we, we talk about the grace of God. And you find that in Romans 6, 23, for instance, which says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We talk about wages and sin and death. We talk about um, the actual you know, gifts are free. People don't have a big issue with that. But then there's another important principle that's really important, and uh, that is uh, uh, another concept of grace. And what I do is I usually have this track or something in my hand, and I'll say to these guys or anyone talking to me, Let's say this is a $100 bill. And I hear, you know, Jamal here, I'll pick one out. You're a great guy. Everybody says you're such a great guy. You deserve a gift, a free gift, a $100 bill. And then I'll look to the other guys and I'll say, let me ask you a question. At this very moment, is this gift Jamal's? What do you think they say? Huh? Half of them would say, yeah, oh, yeah you, gave, you, you offered it, didn't you? So yeah, I offered it. And the other guys are a little smarter. They'll say, no. And I'll say, well, why? Why isn't it right now? Because you only offered it. He didn't take it. Isn't that true? That's the grace that God offers us. We have a choice. We can hear about it. We can know about it. We know He is. 
You know, he's waiting. He, he's asking us to make a change in our life, to get on mission, and we can just acknowledge that. Yeah, I know he is. Or, or we can say yes, or we can say no. And uh, that's a very important part of that. So Jesus anticipates our needs. He shows these guys great grace. As the uh, hymn writer says, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. Basically, Jesus is waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home, you are weary. Come home. And then we find the conclusion here in verses 15 through 17. It says, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, you love me more than these. He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend the lambs. And surprisingly, I'm sure Peter, he asked him again the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? At this point in time, says Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, my sheep. What was going on here? Jesus was dealing and resolving Peter's past. This boastful Peter who had messed up. Um, how many times had Peter denied Christ? Three times. How many times did he ask him if he loved him? Three times. Okay. And what was Peter's response? He didn't say, well, yeah, I love you. I, I was just reading 10 chapters of Leviticus last night. You know, I've been fishing and giving my fish to the poor. No, he, he nearly didn't have anything to say. He had nothing. And he said, you know. You know. And that's, and that's not a bad way to come to Christ. To say, I, I don't have anything to offer you. But you know my heart. You know where I'm at. I, that's all I can say. And that's, that's a pretty darn good response, if you ask me. And um, when I was with these guys in prison, we um, went to the end. We got to 1 John 1 9. It says, If we confess our sins, be faithful and righteous, meaning He will do it every time, and He has every right to do it, to forgive us our sins, and cleanse us from all righteousness. And I went to each one of these guys, I looked at the eye, and I said, Do you want forgiveness for Christ in your life? Yeah. You want the forgiveness of Christ in your life? My name Joe, Steve. I asked, you know, Jamal, do you want the forgiveness of Christ in your life? And I noticed up to this point that Jamal never looked, lifted his head the whole time we were talking. He stayed there. That's pretty good. Sometimes they, they walk away after a while. Um, but he never looked at me. He never lifted up his head. He would, look, he would talk. And he said in a, a soft voice when I asked him, do you want the forgiveness of Christ in your life? He said, God can never forgive me for what I've done. He's saying something like that. You know? So I put my hand on him. You're not supposed to do that in some type of people, but it's pure moving. And I put my hand on him. I said, I can understand how you feel about Why can I say that? Because I've been there. I've been a Christian for you know, 40 years. There's been times in my life when I said, God, how can you possibly forgive me for what I've done? I bet you have too. Okay. But what's the answer? We listen to the prophet Isaiah when he says in Isaiah 118. Come on now, says the Lord. Let's reason together. Let's think this out. 
Though your sins are as scarlet, though your sins are red like crimson, he said, though your sins are blood red, though your sins are, I can see like your sin a mile away, it's so red. Your sin is heinous to the common person. That's last God. That's what this guy was saying. I know he had done something bad. But there's forgiveness. Now, I'm not soft on crime. Right? There's consequences for our sins. And these guys, the women in the women's prison, you know, they're serving the consequences of their sin. I wouldn't ask for one day for that sentence to be reduced. That's not my call. Right? But there's forgiveness. And Jesus resolved Peter's sin. You know, only Judas messed up worse than Peter. And yet, um, God took the next worst, okay, and he said, I want you to leave my church. And if he can resolve Peter's failure and sin, I think he can resolve ours. Okay? So he put Peter on mission, gave him a mission. And uh, if you have a past that you need to resolve, God can do that for you and for me. So how did it work out? This is the uh, end of the story. The rest of the story, as we often say. Well, he became a leader of the church. Uh, in Acts 3 it says, he performed the first miracle because Jesus went and saw a lame man. Uh, wanted some money from him and John. And Peter looked at him and said, I, I don't have any money. I don't have any silver. I don't have any gold. What I do have, I'll give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. He did. And later it says they used to line up people on pallets, the sick and the lame, and the healing and the hurting, in the hopes that just as Peter walked by, it, his shadow would fall on them. They could find that that, that alone would allow them to heal. Do you, do you understand? It's just an incredible turnaround in Peter's life that God enabled him to do. So, Peter went from not being on mission to being on mission because Jesus saw us, he is worthy of our trust, he anticipates our need, and he resolves our past. And he can do that for you, he can do that for me. Is East Point on mission today? You heard the women's retreat, all those people that were part of making that happen, they were pointing people to life, and they were on mission. But when you walked in the door today, people were greeting you. That's the first face you see, the first experience you have with someone as you walk in this church. They are pointing people to life, they are on mission. There's people back in the room off to the side here, and then not today, only today, during the week in um, the preschool, and they're teaching our children, they're pointing children to life, they're on mission. People that are going into prison, there's a dozen and a half of us have done that here in the last several years, pointing people to life, we're on mission. People who serve communion here, you know, they're offering us a, a sacrament of communion. They're pointing people alive. They're on mission. If you're part of crossover basketball, is this exciting? If you're part of crossover basketball, you're bringing in people from outside, unchurched. I was unchurched all my growing up. My parents never went to church, uh, but here I am, and because people were on mission, they pointed me to life. And there's many other examples. I'm sorry if I missed one of those, but 
that's what's going on here today. So if you bench yourself like Peter, if you're out of the game, God wants you to get in the game. He wants you to be on a mission. He has every resource to make that happen. Why don't you pray for me? Father, I think of the words of the song, you're the God of this city, you're the king of these people, for greater things have yet to come, and greater things are still to be done in this city and this church of East Point Christian Church, Lord. And I just anticipate what tremendous things you're doing. Help us to be on people who are on mission, who point people alike. We thank you for the resources you've given us to make that possible. We thank you ahead of time for the tremendous things you're going to do right here in our, our backyard at East Point Christian Church. And all God's people said together.